Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Uh, in this week's podcast, we're going to continue our discussion of apostles and apostates. But before we get to that, we have a couple of emails, Garrett, here. Um, this first comes to us from Emily. Uh, subject line, MTC Roommates. This message is for almost Dr. Richard LaDuke. My daughter. I, I see why we're reading this. That's one. correct. Yeah. My daughter is leaving for the MTC in two days. Oh, awesome. um, like with our sports picks, this likely happened about a month ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, She's been home for seven months, and she didn't come home early. She's been married in the temple. They have two beautiful children. <laughs> and we just got to uh, your email. We just got to your email. My husband, Greg, was telling my daughter all about the MTC. He said that one of his roommates was Elder LaDuke. I was totally surprised by by this because I listened to the podcast and knew you served in Riverside, California, the same as my husband. But it never crossed my mind that you might know each other. After a little research, we discovered that you roomed with my husband in the MTC and served in the same zone for a little bit. He said you were famous for your concussions. Small world. Yes. Well, first of all, uh, Emily, um, Greg is was the best, as you know, as you've been married to him uh, now for... Likely almost 20 years. I mean, at this point, by the time we got to the email, 30. 30 years. Congratulations on your 30th anniversary your 35th to Greg. 35th wedding anniversary. So I'm a huge fan of your of your husband. Um, we, we're in the MTC together. One of my So he's he's from, and, and you guys, I believe, still live outside of St. Louis. Uh, there's a couple things that were great about Greg. Are you going like, to give their address and social security <laughs> yeah. number two while you're at it? It's like, uh, south of St. Louis, I believe, is yeah. where they, is where they yeah, reside. What ward do they go to? <laughs> well, so what was funny is, is that uh, in, you know Riverside, California, a lot of that is in the, in the desert, in the high desert. And so coming from humidity to the desert, I remember that Greg struggled mightily for the first couple months. Just couldn't, couldn't breathe. It was just so dry. But uh, it was uh, it was great getting to to serve with your husband. He's an absolutely great guy. He was really into swing dancing, I do believe, uh, and big band music was uh, was back with a vengeance toward the the late nineties. And so he was quite the dancer, if I if I recall, and a great missionary. So, so did he did he dance for you? He did not dance for me, but I saw pictures in in his full so, so zoot suit regalia that he was dancing. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, he seemed to have the uh, the elegance and grace of someone that is a good dancer. Is that why you were telling him about your concussions? Was that uh, you yeah, trying I, to yeah, say, that's right. I would get out there with you? I would dance, elder, but I but, can't. Yeah. Doesn't the White Handbook say something about how your companion can dance, but you can't dance with him? Yeah, not in the same bed. The same room, yeah, but not the yeah, same bed. Yeah, you, you must... Sleep in the same room, but not in the same bed. Anyway, so Greg, Greg was a great machine. It was a very nice email. I, I, I hope your daughter is, um, I hope she travels home safely from her mission as it's probably pretty soon that she'll be traveling home, wherever it is that she's 
she's serving. I do have a couple funny concussion stories, but we don't have time today well, as we get we, into Apostles well, of Well, we're, we're not doing a 4th of July extravaganza, so I mean... Well, it's true. Today is the 4th of July when we, we're recording. We should re-release the 4th of July extravaganza every 4th of July. The one where you just trash our country? I don't believe that is the way it should be It's like, hey, hey, the Mormons hate America. That is not what the, I said. The government kicked us out and we've, we hate them. Happy 4th of July. Enjoy your stadium of fire, it, jerks. All it is is a fact. It's a statement of the fact that the Latter-day Saints didn't celebrate the 4th of July in 1845 because right. they were being murdered. And they were chastised for not – oh, we always knew that they were against yeah, this country because yeah. they didn't celebrate the 4th yeah. of July. Even though the, the main reason why we were mad at them at first was because they celebrated the 4th of July too much. <laughs> So we were worried about how strong they were because they were shooting cannons and guns off when they were celebrating the year before. So this year they didn't celebrate at all, and now we know why we hate them. Okay, you know what? Yeah, I will I will re-release that. Now, people listening to that, this will be coming out this Thursday, so people will be well, hearing. Well, this will answer their questions because they'll be like, oh, are these guys just re-releasing this because they're ready to cancel the podcast? Yes. First of all, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the premiums have not been rolling in the way they need to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> by the way, we've been uh, unable to glut ourselves. By the way, uh, Rex is Elders Quorum president. Just so you know, this is counted as part of the silliness. I'll let you know when we get into the meat of the, uh, oh yeah. Did he, did he say that he doesn't like listening to us? No, he, he when he talked, when we read Rex's email, oh, Rex, that's right. w- Rex was referred to this podcast and the Elders Quorum president said, it's, it's pretty good if you can get past all the silliness. And we've received several emails that have said, hey, I Why like the podcast, talk? but if Richard could talk less and Garrett could just jump straight into the history, that'd or be great. If, I mean, I, we've also gotten some emails that say it'd be best if both Richard and Garrett could not talk, <laughs> which seems like the podcast would be a lot of... <laughs> yeah, just an, just an hour of the sound of leaves crinkling. That's oh, all boy. it would be. That's a whole nother thing. You'll have to sign up to be a premium subscriber <laughs> to hear crinkling leaves because apparently that's coming down the pipe it is it is um all right so we have another email from jacob uh big uh subject big reveal on a previous question hello some context for the subject i submitted a question on my mission a few months ago about an experience first of all this is great uh somebody that served a mission just a couple months ago this really gets us in the demo this is this is fantastic for the advertising that we don't do. <laughs> Although I recommend that you go to Jersey Mike's. Um, I submitted a question on my mission a few months ago about an experience a friend uh, we were teaching had with a member, where he was told that the Illuminati, where he was sorry, where he was told that the Illuminati. What I I I, uh, I read this before, but just reading the, the word Illuminati yeah. made me. I think laugh. every time we see the word Illuminati, there, you have to be prepared for some kind of laughter. <laughs> I, I mean. mean Yes, where the uh, the Illuminati was attempting to infiltrate the church and steal the secrets of the endowment. Um, The secrets of the endowment that uh, all of the covenants are published on LDS.org, essentially. uh, On LDS.org? My goodness, you can just go to the conference center and (laughs) someone's acting it out while you're Well, I'm just saying, uh, on church, so, you know, our son is going through the temple tomorrow uh, for the first time, and we went through a, a temple prep, and you go to churchofjesuschrist.org and it's like hey here's the five covenants that you make you know you know it doesn't give the specific language but it's 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 very different from when I went through the temple in terms of helping people to understand yeah, what they're doing I think we it's, do a it, lot better job now we do I think it's understand. I think it's great so his question was that was his previous question about the illuminati 
Yes, the secrets yeah. of the endowment. I appreciate your answer so much that I decided to submit another question. By the way, I think that guy uh, stopped meeting with us before we even heard your response. Well, in fairness, we probably didn't respond to your email until seven months after your mission. <laughs> well, it's also possible, by the way, that uh, the Illuminati got to him, and that's part of You know of what? It. That's what happened. That's how deep the conspiracy yeah, the cons- goes. Yeah, what, what happened is as soon as you emailed us, it triggered in the Illuminati censoring. They knew. They came to his house. Are you sure this guy's alive? No. When you say I'd be con- Jacob, I'd be yeah. concerned about your... your when uh, you say he stopped meeting with you, did he stop meeting with you with extreme prejudice? <laughs> and Meaning, when Garrett says that, dead. Yeah, yeah you mean... Uh, Calculated. So this previous week, I returned from my mission in the California Santa Rosa mission. I served near a city called Napa, California, which is famous in Latter-day Saint history since Governor Boggs is buried there. We were told by several members that, that Joseph Smith had prophesied that a church spire would overshadow the gravesite of Governor Boggs. There is a chapel that was built... Very close to the burial site, but I must admit, I've never seen a shadow over his grave, even though I was only there for three minutes on a P-Day. Well, so that's part of the problem, Jacob. I mean, you've got to go during the, obviously, the, the prime, winter solstice or... Yeah, pre- no, the prime viewing hours. But <laughs> if you build like a, yeah, some kind of a stonehenge around it, <laughs> and then you know exactly where the shadows fall... They ended up selling that chapel, it's quite old, which caused an uproar and lots of people saying that the church couldn't sell it because of this prophecy. Obviously, the church could and did. And this- I like your, I like <laughs> your uh, very practical thinking, Jacob. Uh, you started with Illuminati and then got to the, the quite practical nature of, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the church can do whatever they want. But this got me curious about the truthfulness of this claim. I wanted to ask if Dr. Dirkmont knew anything about it, about, or knew anything because I, like most people, don't have much time to pour through the Joseph Smith papers to find the answer. Garrett has nothing but time to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens when you don't have a real job. Thanks again for all you do. You leave me laughing each episode and with my faith much stronger. Well, thank you, Jacob. And at nine minutes, uh, actually just at 10 minutes, Rex is Elders Quorum president. You can start listening. Won't he have already have listened to this point to know when? I put it in the description. I put it in the description of what's happening just so that Rex is Elders Quorum president knows. Doesn't this conversation itself also constitute the silliness? Yeah, we've got an intro now. It's about 20, 25 seconds. So we're about 10 minutes, 30 seconds. And now Rex is Elder Scorn president. But I, I don't feel like getting into it. I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> I want I want to make it more painful. for. Well, I am excited. The NFL came out with their uh, their schedule for, for games relatively recently. I'm pretty excited for football coming up. I've got uh, a couple tickets to some BYU games. We could talk about those. Ooh, yeah. But, or, all kinds of stuff. Or, well, you know what? Uh, it's the 4th of July. Let's talk about uh, Governor Boggs. Okay. Well, I mean, we were going to do apostles and apostates. What better apostate to start with? <laughs> Than Governor Boggs? I don't remember him being an apostle. Yeah, well, he wasn't an apostle. That's that's true. And although I'm I'm sure that he's been baptized for the dead probably seven hundred times. Whenever there's someone famous from Latter Day Saint history, especially if they're an antagonist, it's like people can't 
they can't find ways to baptize them quick enough. Like it's their it's their favorite thing to do. Like, oh really? Well, we you know we actually baptize Governor Boggs as if it like forces Governor Boggs on the other side that now he's a member whether he likes it or not. He's like your great grandparents haven't had time, but Governor Boggs yeah, got him. No, seriously, like your own grandfather. <laughs> we're, we're gonna get to him, but Governor Boggs, we've got him. Governor Boggs is in the bag. Um, so uh, this is an interesting piece of folklore. Um. You already noticed the fact that I say folklore that, you know, so I can tell you there is no verified Joseph Smith prophecy that uh, uh, there was going to be a, a church spire that would cast a shadow on Boggs's grave. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing how things like that develop, right? I mean, because when exactly would Joseph Smith have said that? Right. I mean, well, Joseph Smith actually has a really rough time with Boggs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't say. Yeah. yeah. And, and not just because. Go on. I mean, <laughs> Boggs becomes a hiss and a byword among Latter-day Saints. It's almost as if he ordered the state militia to exterminate 15,000 people. Uh, or drive them from the state if necessary for the public good. Their outrages are beyond all description. Really? They're beyond all description? Like like the murdering of a 10-year-old child by the Missouri State Militia along with 25 other people? Yeah, they are. They're beyond all description. How many... Uh, how many Missourians were, were killed? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two Missouri casualties in the Battle of Crooked River when the... Caldwell County Militia, which is where the Latter-day Saints were from in Caldwell County, attacked a mob that had kidnapped Latter-day Saints and burned down multiple uh, farms that they had, thinking that that group was a mob. But in fact, it was actually the actual state militia. So so this reminds me of a t-shirt idea we got from a friend of the show, Damien, uh, and it's uh, Misery Loves Company. Missouri loves company. Yeah. 1838 to 1976. Now, why, why 1838 to 1976, Garrett? Well, because that's when the extermination order was put in force in 1838, and it wasn't until 1976. <laughs> Notice I said 1976, not 1876, that it was finally rescinded. How about that? With a kind of a, my bad, <laughs> from Missouri. Did they remunerate the millions of dollars that were of stolen property or return it to their original owners? No, but they did say, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I've, so I've, millions of dollars, even at, potentially at the time. It was millions of dollars worth of property. At the time. But, yeah. I mean, it's. And so now. Tens of thousands of acres, improved land, houses, and then all the goods. And then on top of that, people. So Joseph did have a hard time with Yeah, he had Fox. kind of a hard time. Interesting. Well, and the funny part, uh, and there's nothing funny about it, uh, but when when uh, Amanda Barnes-Smith was asked in an affidavit to make out all of her losses that she suffered at the hands of the Missourians, Amanda Barnes-Smith is the one who is not from... Missouri, doesn't live in Missouri, is actually living in Ohio, Joseph Smith receives a revelation in January of 1838 that where the Lord says that all the faithful saints need to leave Kirtland and go to far west. 
Well, Amanda Smith is one of the faithful saints. So her and her husband get their affairs in order and they head out to far west. They are on their way through Missouri to far west and they stop for the night, essentially, in Hans Mill. Oh my gosh. The same night, the same day that the uh, that the Livingston County Militia... Again, we always say mob violence in Missouri. Nope. We say it as if, you know, because it, a lot of times it is mobs. It is literally the official state militia of Livingston County under orders from the state, officered by state militia troops who come into Hans Mill and they don't attempt to make any arrests. Okay, look, Latter-day Saints commit crimes. I get it. So, you know, and you all have a friend who's more than happy to point out to you every single time a Latter-day Saint does something and gets arrested. Trouble on both sides? Oh, that's what people say. It no, makes, but it you, makes always you, have, you always have people that will like, you know, everyone has a friend who, you know, whenever any Latter-day Saints caught embezzling money, like, oh, this guy, one of the members of your church. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see me pointing out every single time something happens for the members of your church, which is atheism? No. I mean, but anyway, um, uh, the, of course there's the potential that Latter-day Saints are committing crimes. But when people commit crimes in America, what we do is we arrest them after there's a warrant for their ind- that individual person's arrest. That's not what the Livingston County Militia did. They rode into Far West, shooting as they rode in. The men in town throw their hands in the air and say, we surrender, we surrender, and they are all shot while they're trying to surrender. And Amanda Barnes-Smith's children try to hide, and one of them gets shot and has uh, his hip blown off because, you know, there's a huge threat from a six-year-old child. And her 10-year-old child is shot and wounded, and while he's laying on the ground, the leader of the Livingston County militia comes up to this wounded writhing in agony child of 10 years old and puts a gun to his head and pulls the trigger while saying nits make lice. If I let him live, he'll just become another expletive Mormon. Well, that's a little dark to start with. Um, So Amanda Smith has her husband murdered her wounded son executed and her six-year-old son's hip shot off. She, of course, loses all of her possessions and loses, you know, the temporary uh, you know, wagons, horses, everything they had was stolen from them. And in her affidavit that she makes out, she says that my losses are worth more than the entire state of Missouri is worth. Pretty tough to argue with that. You'll be happy to know that no one was ever even charged for the murder of her son or her husband, let alone convicted. Don't worry. No one's ever convicted. So you don't ever have to worry about that. Is anyone ever convicted for murdering? No, no, no. But no one's ever even charged. Is I mean, part of that is because they're acting on an official orders, right? 
Sure. I, I mean, mean, and the people that would be charging yeah. them are also in the in the militia yes, that are yes. there with the them. People who would be charging them, like the judge that would be <laughs> arraigning them, is also like, I got the six year old. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones who would have pulled the trigger. I mean, right. So look, we'll someday, we'll someday do a podcast on the Missouri violence. I was editing quite a bit just now. And it's, yeah, it's not good. I mean, the Latter-day Saints come out of Missouri incredibly, I mean, just, they were treated so violently that it, it, it permanently stains the whole psyche of, of, of the religion. I mean, everyone coming out of that experiences this, 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 this horror. And it's part of the reason why when, when the citizens of Nauvoo, when Joseph flees um, before going to Carthage and he goes to Iowa and the citizens of Nauvoo find out that the governor is marching to Nauvoo with the state militia, it's part of the reason why the residents of Nauvoo freak out and send letters to Joseph telling him to come back. Because the last time the state militia marched on the capital of the Latter-day Saints, People were murdered and everything destroyed. And so it's it to us, it seems like they're overreacting to beg Joseph to come back because they're so afraid of the violence that might happen. But to them, it's literally the last time the state militia marched on where they live. They experienced it. So they they're they're afraid, and some of them beg Joseph to come back and he and he comes back. Now all this goes back to to why Boggs is such an issue. Now Boggs was the governor, and of course, um, uh, you know, not only did he use the extermination order, he then conspires to have all Latter-day Saint property in the state con- uh, um, confiscated by the state in order to pay for the war that the Latter-day Saints caused. They caused the war by being murdered by the uh, Missouri militia, obviously. And so... Um, the Latter-day Saint properties are just confiscated without any remuneration. So Boggs is the most hated person in Latter-day Saint history at the time. And there's a lot of hated people. I mean, a lot of hated people. But Boggs is really, I mean, he he is he is the worst, in, in part because he was the governor and because he issued that extermination order. Um, uh, as a side note, I mean, I should say... Um, when you when you read Amanda Barnes Smith's testimony, when you read the the horrors that she went through, remember she was in Far West because she followed the prophet, because the prophet told her to move. Well, told all the faithful Latter Day Saints to move to Far West and leave Kirtland, and she did, and that's the reason why she was there when the militia came. We all experience difficulties in life. Everybody has unfair and unjust things happen to them. There are people listening to this podcast who have had their children, their spouse, their loved ones taken from them in unfair and unjust ways. Even if it was just disease that, 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 that crept in unaware, even if it was a, a car accident or something like that, where they never got to say goodbye where they didn't know that the end was then, 
And, and it's difficult in those moments to not shake your fist at heaven and say, why did you do this to me, God? So, so I, I, I'm well aware that people experience absolutely unfair trials in this world. And, and you all know as you're listening, you're, you're thinking of the ones that you have experienced or the people that you know have experienced. And sometimes because of those difficulties, we lose our faith. Um, sometimes the pain is too much. The, the idea that there is a loving God becomes too, becomes too, you know, oblique an idea. If there really is a loving God, then why is my daughter gone? If there really is a loving God, then why, where is my son? That, that kind of thing. And Amanda Smith experienced these horrors in, in part, I mean, in, because she was a Latter-day Saint, they were just murdering Latter-day Saints. But as she gives her affidavit, she, she also gives her testimony when she gives an autobiographical statement about this. She said, I felt the loss of my husband, but not as I should if he had apostatized. He died in the faith and in the hopes of a glorious resurrection. As for myself, I felt an unshaken confidence in God through it all. I had personally been acquainted with the prophet Joseph for many years. I had seen his walks and knew him to be a prophet of God, and that buoyed me up under every trial and privation. I've drank the the dregs of the cup of sorrow and affliction as well as been partakers of the blessings of an all-merciful God. I have drunk from the fountain of life freely. I've seen the Lord's power manifest to a great degree. I've seen the lame leap as a heart, the eyes of the blind open, and as it were, the dead raised to life, all in my own family. I do say that of all creatures, I have the greatest reason to rejoice and to thank my Heavenly Father and do thank and praise His holy name for His blessings to me. And I do pray that I may ever be faithful unto the end, that I may, with my posterity, be crowned with eternal lives in the kingdom of our God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that's a pretty powerful testimony coming from one of the great, powerful women in in the early church who she came to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And once she came to know that he was, external events, even horrific, unfair, terrible ones, were not going to change the fact that she knew by the Holy Spirit that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. So, sorry for that little bit of a little little sidetrack there, perhaps, Richard. Maybe a little... Going another direction for a minute. Well, no, but I, I feel like uh, it, it is one of those things. That you, there, there are a couple of things that get you, especially. Yeah, wor- I get worked up. You do get worked up, and yeah. the the violence in Missouri. I the, had to pause several times. Yeah. Well, and we part had to of, edit out several expletives. The part of the part of the frustration that you have as you talk about Missouri is is number one. I mean, the incredible faith that that these people had, and that they're there because they are following the prophet. The frustration also you have is that, you know, when people are saying, well, the Mormons aren't innocent here, they did some some things as well, yeah. um, and you're, you're, you're trying to compare the yeah, different things. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mormons, like, gave speeches saying, hey, we're not going to allow people to come and, and, and kill us anymore. We're going to fight back. Yeah, that's hugely insightful. <laughs> uh, they did other things like attempting to vote, 
um, they had the audacity to say that they uh, wanted to let free black members of the church move to Missouri in contravention to Missouri culture and law. I mean, there was a lot of things they did do. Um, well, but when you put it like that, yeah, then, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's almost like I'm I'm denigrating the Missourians. Uh, yeah. Now, what what sparks the Mormon war in Missouri? And when we do, we'll do a whole thing on this. Probably never. This will be <laughs> it'll be season thirty nine. Um, well, it, it's it, well, and part of the reason that this one's tough is just. The, like it's it's really like it's really difficult to fully describe the horror that that yeah. goes on here. Yeah, I mean I uh, you know I am I'm scratching the surface. Uh, you know, we are the tip of the iceberg. But anyway, um we'll, we'll talk about the fact that uh what sparks the the actual war in Missouri is the Latter-day Saints attempted to vote in an election. And as we all know, Hated minority groups are not allowed to vote in elections, apparently, uh, in the early 19th century in the United States. That's And and it's literally a riot is caused by a Missouri politician who wants to prevent the Latter-day Saints from voting because they were going to vote for the other candidate. Now, I yeah, it's hard to believe that there was a time in American history when people would feel so strongly about politics that they would hate somebody simply because they were going to vote for the other side. But imagine a world, imagine a world where politics matters so much to people that you would hate someone over who they voted for. Well, that's what it was like in 19th century Missouri. So, so this leads us to, uh, then the, the Boggs prophecy that, uh, you're about to crush the dreams of Jacob and all of those in the greater Napa Valley. Because they all want to believe that they want to believe yeah. that. Uh, well, so so let me give a just a will. little bit more context. Okay, it's going to be most of this episode. Okay, we're so, not talking about apostles. Well, you know what? But so, but at the end though, you're going to read Joseph's charge potentially, no, and, and then it'll we'll lead into it. Okay, we're, we're gonna we look. Listen, Rex's elders, corn president. <laughs> we're not going to get there. You're just going to have to deal with this. Well, so I will say, in defense of Rex's elders corn president, you are going to talk about things relating to history. You're just not going to talk about the topic the right that thing. you said that you're going to say. You're yeah, well, talk about. which is why I don't think we should really start off the episode saying, "Hey, we're going to talk about this." It really is setting us no, up. It's my. It's actually my favorite thing that we do: saying that we're going to do something tangents. and then never get to yeah. it. You know what? We're going to do this, and then we just don't do it at all. <laughs> I feel right. like we're liars. I feel like we we are going to have some repenting to do. Anyway, so why does this become a bigger issue aside from just the extermination order, the Boggs thing? It's because in 1842, so, so look, to put it in context, the Mormon war in Missouri and the extermination orders in 1838, okay? Four years later, the Latter-day Saints are living in Nauvoo and someone attempts to assassinate former Governor Lilburn Boggs. He's sitting in his office and someone shoots a, essentially it's it's a pistol, but it's one that is a, it's essentially like a, it's loaded with buckshot through the window of his office. It hits him, wounds him pretty severely um, in his neck and in his head. And in fact, some of the early reports were that he was he was killed, that he was dead. Um, well, the you know the assailant runs off, um, and now look, uh, Boggs was then running for uh, 
office, not not for governorship, but for a state assembly um, office, and it was a very highly contested election. And this is Frontier, Missouri. And you also have to remember that apparently in Missouri, murdering people is not that big a crime, right? Well, so Boggs will almost immediately say, you know who did this? It must have been Orrin Porter Rockwell, right? Porter Rockwell must have done it. And if he did it, then that means that Joseph ordered him to do it. So they're up there in Nauvoo. Joseph's sitting around like, hey, we got to get this temple up. I'm going to try to get the endowment out. You know what we really need to do is we need to murder. uh, We need to try to murder Wilburn Boggs. Um, And so why that matters is that uh, at the same time, John C. Bennett, speaking speaking of apostates. There we go. He's not quite an apostle, apostle. though, but he is one of, because we're going to do a Major apostates too, right? Not just apostles. Oh apostates. my gosh! Yeah, the people cry out. They want to. Know, they want all the apostates. They want. We've already done a little bit. We've done Hurlbut a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do them again though. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we hate more it. detail. Well, we hate Hurlbut so much. Yeah, I, we, I visited his grave. You have as well. Yes. Yes. So, is that outside of uh, Toledo? Is that where it is? Gibsonburg, Ohio. Oh, be- this time of year, beautiful. Oh yeah, there's a pizza place there. There is actually, which is literally the only place to eat. Yeah, it's the first place I've seen fireflies actually on the way to his grave. It was oh. a magical. It was a magical. So it was event. a magical time <laughs> going to the grave of this twice excommunicated fornicator who yeah. then lied about Joseph Smith and threatened to murder him. Well, not just threatened, was actually convicted <laughs> of it. Was convicted at, of threatening him, of yeah, threatening yeah, murder, of, of threatening to wash his hands in the blood of to wash his hand and to uh, what the, the the to wound, beat, or kill Joseph Smith. This court case did not take place in Missouri, did it? No, it took place in Ohio, <laughs> um, because no court cases take place in Missouri. <laughs> because for them to take place in Missouri, someone would have to be charged for something against the Mormons. Um, look, prior to the extermination order. It, uh, see, now I'm just telling the whole Missouri thing. But prior to the extermination order, there is a Latter-day Saint settlement in uh, Carroll County, Missouri, um, called DeWitt. Um, there, the surrounding residents decided that they wanted the Mormons out before the extermination order. And that, so, that seemed to bring people together, didn't you it? Know the, you know what? You know, there's there's nothing that brings people together like you know hot apple pie, uh, you know a, a good Super Bowl, you know, and driving the Mormons out of your city, like, county, or state. Driving the Mormons out of your state will bring people together. It is it's a unifying thing. I mean, frankly, even today, in mixed political company. You're you're there with a a raging liberal or some kind of QAnon conservative, and you say, you know who I hate, Mormon, and everyone in the room is like, oh, I'm there with you. Yeah, yeah it yeah. it turns into like a Coke commercial in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I want to teach the world yeah, to sing in perfect harmony. And it, what 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 do you what do you all agree on? We agree we hate Mormons. What's funny is when that study just came out showing how despised Latter Day Saints are. How many people got online, especially critics of the church, and said, see, see how much people hate you? And it's like, we, we've been saying for, for 200 years how much people hate. What, we know people hate us. You know what the weird part about that was, though? Do you know the religion that had the least contempt for every other religion? Mormons. Latter-day, Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, we're, we're horrible, horrible, horrible people taught to hate everyone else, except when we're surveyed and we say, oh no, we like those people. <laughs> when those same people are surveyed. So we're essentially like the guy that everyone hates in the friend group, but that guy doesn't seem to know that everyone hates him. And, and so everyone's always talking bad about him. Oh yeah, Methodists are great. No, yeah, I yeah. love. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, Baptists. Oh man, I just I think Baptists have such a great testimony of Jesus. Talk to a Baptist like Mormons. They don't even believe in Jesus. They believe in Satan and Jesus are brothers, and that all kinds of you know, they're still practicing polygamy. I don't care what they say. I mean, uh, it, it it is kind of a funny thing. Anyway, I I think I dig- do it. Do I digress? Well, so so we got to get back to Dewitt to get back to Boggs. This is going to be a four-parter. <laughs> I just want to. I need to know who the the name of Rex's elders quorum president, just so we can apologize directly to him. Well, it's it's almost it's 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 like Rachel's mom. There's a certain almost uh, level of, uh, um, I don't know. It's it's almost better to not yeah. know. Right? We had our Fourth of July firework extravaganza last night. For those of you who don't think I celebrate the Fourth of July, <laughs> well, I do. My dad loved the Fourth of July. We. We, we love it. I I did say in the prayer, and I thought I was getting away with it, and I, I did not. In the prayer, I said, we're thankful for the freedoms that we are able to enjoy in this country now. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's subtle, yeah. Is it not true? Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. Well, my neighbor, my neighbor uh, Brady <laughs> came up to me after the prayer, and he said, the ones we enjoy now, huh? I know what you mean. So, look, I'm not going to say that in 1844, when they're murdering Joseph and Hiram and then driving us out of the country, that things were going great in America. I don't know how to say that. You know, I mean, I still love America. I still love uh, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. I just don't love it when people murder me. <laughs> Those are the it, it's you have this kind of a. There's a wall you run into. Right? That's true. But well, but but we learned from you though that uh, we need to give people the opportunity to turn the other cheek. Yeah, and you got to you got to punch them in the face. Yeah, if you if you don't punch them in the face, they'll never have the opportunity to turn give the other them cheek. The we were given many opportunities. So uh, do it, do it. Well, so the residents of Carroll County, they uh, are so angry that the Latter Day Saints are living in their county that they begin. A, a, shooting into the town and setting things on fire and just randomly like, so you're walking around town in DeWitt and a bullet just flies past you. Yeah. Because they're trying to use terror tactics to drive the Latter-day Saints out. And then eventually they get a cannon and roll a cannon onto the hill outside of the town and say, we're going to start bombarding the town. Well, the governor, uh, this is before the extermination order sends the state militia there the state militia to get rid of the cannon, to put down the, well, to try to stop the violence, you know, that's going on. The general who goes, he's actually he's actually a good guy. He goes and he tries to order his men to disperse the mob surrounding DeWitt. His men refuse the order, take their arms, and go join the mob surrounding DeWitt. So the governor the general tries to talk to the, the mobbers in Carroll County. He's like, What did the Mormons do? What what can we do to solve this? He writes back to Governor Boggs and he's like um, the Carroll County mob say the Mormons haven't done anything. They just don't want them living here. <laughs> so essentially, I mean, what are the Mormons supposed to do with that? I mean, it's, frankly, it places the Mormons in the position 
that many of the Native Americans were in, right? Well, what's the real uh, problem here between the United States and the, the, the Native Americans living here? Well, the, the main problem is you're living there. Well, we have to live somewhere. I know, but not there because we need, there's gold there now. And so <laughs> you're going to have to move Trail of Tears. Yeah, essentially. Um, anyway, so uh, the Latter-day Saints are expelled from that. So, I mean, how do you justify that? Right? How do you justify the expulsion from DeWitt? All these other things. So there's a, there's a lot of things we could talk about, um, even prior to the extermination order. But this attempted assassination of Boggs, Boggs will immediately claim that Porter Rock was the one who tried to kill him. And at the same time, John C. Bennett, this just, I mean, the only person I hate more than Falassus Hurlbut, uh, he was in the first presidency and he uh, began a system of using his religious position to fornicate with people and all the while claiming that it wasn't really a sin because they were actually spiritually connected in a what he called spiritual wife system. And uh, when it comes to light, he's immediately excommunicated. He publicly says, yeah, Joseph never taught me this. I was using my position in order to gratify my lust, that kind of stuff. But then he leaves town and uh, decides, well, I'm going to make uh, a living out of this. And he goes on the speaking circuit talking about how um, he knew all the insides of, of, of Mormonism. And one of the things he's going to claim is that there's a huge conversation between him and Joseph about how Joseph sent Porter Rockwell to go kill um, to go kill uh, Wilburn Boggs. So you have Boggs alleging this without any evidence, and then you have uh, Bennett seemingly corroborating the evidence from a position of power. Now he's been excommunicated, but now he's saying like, "Oh yeah, yeah, when I was there." Yeah, he like totally said that he was going to have Boggs killed. And so on the strength of that, actually, Porter Rockwell is eventually going to be arrested. And they attempt to arrest Joseph Smith. Uh, they attempt to extradite him. And 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 Joseph actually goes into hiding. In fact, Doctrine and Covenants section 128 is written while Joseph is in hiding because there are Missourians uh, who are coming across the border into Illinois, trying to kidnap him essentially to take him down to Missouri to be tried as an accessory to the attempted murder of, of Lilburn Boggs. And so Boggs is going to come up a lot for the remainder of Joseph's life by these attempts from Missouri to extradite. Now, eventually the state of Illinois will refuse the extradition. At one point there will be <clears throat> some, um, Missourians that will come into Illinois try to kidnap, well, they try to quote-unquote arrest Joseph and then ignore any of the local officers saying that they have a writ of habeas corpus. They try to take him out of uh, out of the state, but they're stopped by Latter-day Saints, essentially, who stop them. And um, Joseph's going to live under this threat of Missourians uh, coming to get him. What I think, part of the, part of the problem uh, with Missouri is it's not just the the attempted shooting of Boggs with Porter Rockwell. The, the other problem is the Saints have started to become very, very, very public about all the horrors that took place in Missouri. So 
How do you think that makes Missouri look? I mean, there are newspapers that are not pro-Mormon newspapers that are hearing some of the affidavits that the Latter-day Saints are sending to Congress and going, gee, like, come on, guys. You know what I mean? In fact, Eber Howe, Eber Howe of Mormonism Unveiled, I wrote the first anti-Mormon book, we did everything we could to drive the Latter-day Saints out of Ohio fame. Eber Howe of that guy, Eber Howe. Even he, when he hears about the violence in Missouri, is like, okay, I mean, I mean, kill people, you know, sure, terrorize them and whip up mob violence against them, but don't, don't just like exterminate them. What was what was Porter Rockwell's uh, comment to uh, this claim that he attempted? Well, so we have all kinds of things that that you know, after the fact, both you know, Joe's is going to say you know that it couldn't have been Porter Rockwell because they wouldn't have wouldn't have been just wounded, but, um, but so there's these attempts. Now, the other thing that Bennett does is Bennett will go to Carthage and get several, have several people swear out affidavits that, yeah, oh yeah, he did tell me that, uh, he was going to, Rockwell was going to go kill, uh, Joseph Smith. So let me read to you. I know that you all wanted this. So I'm going to read to you from John C. Bennett's book, History of the Saints. Is that, do the people cry out? Yeah, it's what everyone wants. Okay. Um, Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet in a public congregation in the city of Nauvoo in the year 1841 prophesied, so we're talking about prophecy, right? That Lilburn W. Boggs, ex-governor of Missouri, should die by violent hands within a year. Okay, well, uh, as someone who is, uh, someone who's read every uh, thing that Joseph wrote and said that we have a record of. Um, I don't have a record of that. It's it's interesting, though, that Bennett would say something like that. Now, of course, Bennett would have been in Nauvoo in 1841 and was still a member of the church then. So why didn't you leave in 1841 when you heard him say he was going to have Boggs killed? Because he hated Boggs then. I see. I see. Yes. Yeah. So what, a, what an honorable man. Anyway, <clears throat> Mr. C.S. Hamilton of Carthage, Illinois, stated in my presence and in the presence of several other gentlemen at the Tavern House of Mr. Robertson in Warsaw, Illinois, on Sunday, the 10th of July, 1842, that he was present and heard Smith make that prophecy. I, likewise, was, was present and heard it. Smith was speaking of the Missouri difficulties at the time and said that the exterminator should be exterminated and that the destroying angel should do it by the right hand of his power. I say it, he said, in the name of the Lord God. Again, we don't have record of that, but hey, how about that? In the spring of the year 1842, Smith offered a reward of $500 to any man who would secretly assassinate Governor Box. Now, one of the problems with secretly assassinating someone is that when you publicly offer a reward, it becomes, it becomes hard to have a secret assassination since you're publicly offering a reward. But, um, you know, Bennett was never very long on uh, having logical arguments. I heard the offer made at a meeting of the daughter of Zion. So now he's invented a, an organization in Nauvoo called the daughter of Zion. You've heard a lot about the daughter of Zion, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere. I mean, I mean, I, I personally am, am one of the vice presidents of the daughter of Zion clubs. Yeah. It's weird that I'd be called the daughter of Zion, but in the Nauvoo lodge, <clears throat> 
at which meeting several members of the destroying angel, the destructives. Kind of sounds like it's a Marvel universe here, right? Oh yeah, he's one of the destructives. As a member of the First Presidency, I had a right to be present at all the meetings of the various departments of the church and witness their operations. Although I wasn't moral enough to leave the church. Oh, that wasn't in there, but but the the what you should read into that is yeah, I was present for all of these things, but still didn't leave until I was excommunicated a year and a half later for committing adultery. <laughs> um uh, I uh, in this matter, I advised the prophet to desist and abandon his purposes in relation to Governor Boggs. His reply was, the destroying angel will do the work when God speaks, his voice must be obeyed. Um, he then goes on to say, him and a couple other people, uh, that Mr. Taylor, John Taylor, an English immigrant, told him that he heard Smith make the same offer, $500 for any man who would kill Governor Boggs. Oh, this isn't John Taylor. This is a Mr. Taylor. Again, no no name. Why would you have a name? And that he, Taylor, had in consequence thereof apostatized from the Mormon faith and written home to his friends in Europe detailing the horrible facts. That was in the early part of the spring of 1842, of course. Bennett still hasn't apostatized yet because, you know. Do we have the record of Taylor's? No, we don't. Why would he have record of any of these things? Because they, he's making them up just like the destructives. Mr. Oren Porter Rockwell left Nauvoo one to two months prior to the attempted assassination of Governor Boggs and returned the day before the report reached there. Colonel Francis Higby told me in Carthage, in the presence of General George Robinson, um, all of these are people who've apostatized, by the way, so... Higby, apostatized. George Robinson, apostatized. Um, that uh, Professor Orson Pratt and his wife, Sarah M. Pratt, oh, told him. Did, did he? Uh, did Professor Orson Pratt teach at the University of Utah? What did he... No, but he was teaching at the University of Nauvoo. Well, there you go. How about yeah. that? What did he teach? Well, he taught all kinds of things. He was a jack of all trades. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Astronomy. Business right. development, sales. Well, he didn't. Uh, he did not uh, teach the master's program for entrepreneurship, no. Okay. All right. Well, that was later, though. If okay, he would well, have been, uh, uh, yeah, you know, a tip anyway. of the cap to Professor Pratt. <laughs> uh, this is the same Apostle Orson Pratt because he's going to actually apostatize over the John C. Bennett stuff, which is another story. Again, uh, we're talking about apostles and apostles. We're going to spend more time on that in the future. We, we have mentioned that before. He yeah, we're ju- we're just never going to mention it nope. again. Anyway. Sarah Pratt told him that Oren Porter Rockwell, in a conversation with them at Mr. Pratt's residence in Nauvoo, stated that he, Rockwell, had been in Governor Boggs' neighborhood in Missouri and had the honor of standing in the corner of the Temple Lot in Independence. Mrs. Pratt told me the same before I left Nauvoo, and that he, Rockwell, stated that he came down the Missouri River in the Mississippi, thence down to St. Louis, Missouri, thence to Nauvoo, Illinois. Some weeks after Rockwell left Nauvoo, I asked Smith where he was gone. Gone, said he. Gone to fulfill the prophecy, he said with a significant nod. Bennett's very, he really should write books. Yeah, this is really well, this is exciting. Yeah, like I can't wait to find out what the destructives do next. Um, To fulfill his prediction in relation to the violent death of Governor Boggs. Soon after Rockwell's return, Smith said to me, Speaking of Governor Boggs, the destroying angel has done the work, as I predicted. But Rockwell was not the man who shot. The angel did it. Rockwell is one of the daughter of Zion, a Danite. 
but I do not think he belongs to the Destroying Angel, which is another group. There's there's a group called the Daughter of Zion. There's another group called the Destroying Angel, and another called the Destructives. It's a my goodness. There's a lot. Look again. It's like it's, it's like, like a, a bunch mar- of street street toughs gangs well, in Nauvoo everywhere. Well, yeah, they're, they're with they're, really they're, menacing names like Daughter of Zion. Yeah, Daughter of Zion <laughs> will strike the fear into everybody. Um. Anyway, he then has a whole bunch of affidavits um, that are filled out in front of Samuel Marshall, Justice of the Peace of Carthage. Those of you who are well aware of Carthage know that it doesn't have a positive history with the Latter-day Saints. Surprisingly, people in Carthage hate Nauvoo, almost as if they were the largest town in the county before the saints moved to Nauvoo, and that people were talking about moving the county seat from Carthage to the actual place that people lived, which is Nauvoo. Um, Here's the affidavit that John C. Bennett swore out uh, in relation to this. This is probably terribly boring. No, no. Are you kidding are you kidding me? This because is, of the destructives? The destructives, the, the, the strong daughter, the, the daughter Ah, the daughters. Zion. Why don't we rename this podcast The Daughter of Zion? <laughs> yeah, and we just go on and like troll antis. You know what? Uh, yeah, well, that would be great because, you know, Willard Richards clearly was one of the Daughter of Zion. We had a, about a thousand uh, shots at our firework display last night, our neighborhood firework display. And I said, we should probably rename the firework display to the Willard Richards because there were a thousand shots. Cause you know, he's got so 90 guns in Carthage and he's shooting the walls and he's shooting people. And he, what, what other reason could there be for him not having his coat off? Huh? 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 Obviously because he got, from now on. So the thing is every time I see someone wearing a suit coat at church, oh, so even good. when it's hot outside, I'm like, Oh wait, how many guns has that guy got? Yeah. 30, 40 guns. He's obviously here to kill the prophet because that's why he would have the guns on him. Anyway, um, I, I, I leave one horrible, terrible attempt at history that no one accepts in that fake documentary to go to another horrible attempt at trying to relate something from the past. John C. Bennett's affidavit that he gives um, in Carthage. But you know, it is pretty lengthy affidavit and uh, we have quite a few other things we want to do there. So I think in in true, true crime fashion, mm-hmm. you know, that... We want to leave people hanging. Um, I'm especially thinking of Rex's Elder's Quorum president right now. Yeah. yeah. That he's thinking, no, no, I, I waited through all of this so that I could get the answers right now when I wanted them. <laughs> well, but so we had an emailer several uh, several months ago that talked about, you answer the questions I never knew I had. Yeah. This podcast is a perfect, this episode is a perfect we're, example we're of a topic teas- that no one even asked. And, well, Right. So, hey, so answer a question I didn't know I had, and then not just that, but tease it into two episodes. Well, the problem is there's more than just one John C. Bennett affidavit. I mean, he has multiple affidavi or something. (laughs) I'm not sure what we want to call them, but uh, the the plural of that. And and I want to be able to share them. I am going to answer the question about Governor Boggs. We're going to do that. Maybe. Maybe you know what? Are we even going to do it? We're not. Okay. Join well, us next week for uh, apostles and apostates part even, two. Should we even call this one apostles and apostates? We should not. Okay. So we're going to go back and change the title of this, even though we said in the beginning we were going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave that in, but then just never get to it. 
Right. So I I honestly feel like we should rename or at least tagline the podcast, The Standard of Truth, We're Never Going to Get to It. <laughs> I think that that would be both appre- it would be appreciated by both our friends and our enemies. Yes. Of which there are legion. Um, you don't get to read all of the hate mail that, that I get to read. Um, Richard censors some of it for me. Uh, and sometimes when I read it, it's just, uh, you know, it's, Hey, Garniff, you know, expletive, 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 you know, you're both fat. Yeah. I really do think Willard Richards had that many guns in Carthage. I mean, so anyway, uh, we are going to finish this topic talking about this supposed prophecy, um, and it's supposed fulfillment or lack thereof in the fact that the church sold this next week. And we're also going to get into some other apostasy and ap- apostolic things since we didn't do as good a job this time. But well, look, John C. Bennett is, he is clearly a major apostate. And a lot of the negative things that you hear about Joseph Smith and the church from that time period all come from that scoundrel. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.